This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with ASA's Steve Sinsky next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 445 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Over 200 soybean farmers and industry leaders were in Washington last week for their summer board meeting and visits on Capitol Hill. ASA CEO Steve Sinsky says hallway conversations included dry weather and concerns about inputs and availability for 2023. And as for policy, a new farm bill. The farm bill was one of our key topics that we were taking to members of Congress up on the Hill, uh, outlining uh, soybean priorities. We went through quite a process within the American Soybean Association, working with our state affiliates, holding listening sessions, inviting input from a lot of growers. We also did uh, an in-depth survey to try to get the priorities, and we came out with those priorities, uh, you know, earlier this spring. Um, you know, and the messages that we were delivering up on the hills, number one um, to, is that agriculture is likely going to need more money. Um, to deal with the things that uh, that we're looking at and and uh, to address the needs out there for for U.S. agriculture and that includes you know for for us within soybeans we would love to see uh, the the soybean reference price increased uh, we would like to see a doubling of the MAP and FMD programs we want we know that there's in, continues to be uh, great need for conservation technical assistance for the voluntary measures that uh, USDA is not able to um, approve or offer technical assistance to all of those farmers that want to implement uh, voluntary conservation measures on their land. Uh, There's just a lot of needs out there. Um, And of course, you know, kind of at the top of always at the top of our list is do no harm to crop insurance because that still is soybean farmers' most important risk management tool. Spencer Chase from AgriPulse uh, had a conversation uh, with ranking member Glenn G.T. Thompson of the House Ag Committee, and there was discussion there uh, um, about what other groups have talked about, maybe shifting farm programs to more of a margin program as opposed to perhaps specific price. Where do you think your delegates would stand on that, or is that something you discussed? We have not discussed that in depth. I mean, that's been an, an idea that has really come to light in the last, you know, I would say three, four weeks that some of the economists and a few politicians, including Ranking Member Thompson, have raised. Um, 
you know, I think we would, we're interested in discussing a lot more, but I think we'd want to, we need to know a whole lot more about that and how it would work. Um, you know, if one remembers back, and of course this margin coverage, uh, and this is what I think ranking member Thompson is, uh, most, mo- most familiar with, is with under the dairy industry. But, they their first go at a margin uh, protection program was a dismal failure. It didn't work, and and it, and they had to go back and correct that a number of years later. And so I think uh, even some of the cautions that the economists have given on this is that number one, having it for row crops is a lot more complicated than probably dairy. There's a lot more factors that go into what what is your margin. Um, and your input costs, and one would have to do some pilot programs, I would think, before you would want to buy in and do that wholesale. The other side of this is that it's always hard to write a farm bill, and especially to write a farm bill about things that you can't see. Uh, I consider the things that are at play right now, uh, inflation, higher interest rates, what possibly could be a recession. You still have the global conflict underway uh, with uh, between Russia and Ukraine. You still have COVID that it's rearing its ugly head, not to mention supply and demand factors related to uh, the changes in, in uh, economic conditions of the middle class. And then and there's this thing called weather, too. Uh, it looks to me like there's a lot of moving pieces going on now that won't make the 23 bill any easier than before. No, I think there's there are just a lot of those challenges that you listed so well, Jeff, and I think that those things all are going to complicate and make it challenging to, to write a farm bill, and I think that also underscores, again, what we're saying is that uh, agriculture is and the ag committees are likely to need some more resources. Now, whether we'll be able to get any any additional resources from the budget committees remains to be seen, but the factors that you've listed out are significant and they're real, and I think in order for the agriculture committees to have the running room that they need to craft a program that protects farmers and offers uh, protection and advances American agriculture, I do think that they're likely to need more resources. Mr. Thompson didn't rule out seeing additional funds, but knowing how tight the budget may be, especially with the challenging economy, uh, agriculture would have to have its place at the table. Now, there is still uh, there are still goals by this president that would have some sort of a build back better come to fruition. And in that, there were dollars uh, to add to conservation programs towards sustainability. Uh, yes, yeah, there certainly were some, uh, you know, climate-related provisions for agriculture. Some, uh, you know, it, that, that package keeps on changing. It's on again, off again. Uh, as of today, it looks like it's off again. And so I don't know whether we can count on any additional dollars for the farm bill being in the uh, reconciliation package. Uh, you know, it, it, if, if they did uh, include some additional dollars for conservation and technical assistance and voluntary conservation on working lands, I think that would be good news, but it remains to be seen whether 
um, the Senate Democrats are going to be able to get that that over the hump. Steve, one of the I would suggest in in this spring and headed here towards summer, one of the first times that I've heard an administration talking about increasing production or finding ways to assist and to move toward double cropping. We've always, from what I have seen oh, since 85, we've talked about controlling how much we produce or giving the freedom produce, but never heard a USDA said we need to produce more. I find that interesting, and I wonder, does that mindset come into play here as we're talking about uh, a new program? Well, I hope it does. I mean, certainly, I think Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the impacts uh, that that is having on uh, global food supplies, um, that is really has brought it to a head to people recognizing that we need a productive and innovative uh, U.S. agriculture system um, and that we need to be doing all we can to help farmers produce and produce not only sustainably, but produce more to feed a growing world population. Um, you know, we, I have been saying uh, for a long time that we have twin challenges. We have to feed not only a growing world population, which, is, which in itself is a challenge, but we have to do so in, in a sustainable way and in the face of a changing climate. And I think that there's, again, innovation can help us get there, and that means investing in innovative practices that are not only produce more, but have a, a more benign impact on the environment. And I think we're starting to see that, and people recognize that we do have these twin challenges. Uh, I think there was just a lot of focus only on the sustainability or on the climate side before, but I think people, once again, are focusing on the food security aspect of, of production. I have heard more than one discuss that in this bill, there should be additional funds toward agriculture research of finding new technologies and new tools for farmers to aid in both production and in sustainability. Would you concur? Absolutely. We're strongly in support of uh, agriculture research, and I think to have a, a robust ag innovation agenda and research program, you do have to invest more. Our competitors are around the world have been investing more in agriculture research. Uh, a lot of our productivity gains have somewhat leveled off here. And so I think investing in agriculture research pays dividends for farmers long term. And, and frankly, we're, we at the American Soybean Association are supportive of additional dollars going into agriculture research. This past week, though, I find this in a paradox. There was a letter that came from Ranking Member Bozeman of the Senate Ag Committee and Ranking Member Thompson toward the Environmental Protection Agency, in essence suggesting, would you please get the politics out of the approval of the tools that farmers need to protect their crops and to produce sustainably? Yes, and, you know, we couldn't agree more. Uh, we, we were very pleased to see that letter from uh, both of them. Um, you know, because they're reflecting the reality is that if we're going to produce crops and protect crops from pests and disease and weeds, farmers do need crop protection tools. And we need a science and risk-based regulatory system in the United States. And we've seen, frankly, too often, uh, we believe that some of the decisions coming from whether they're being made at EPA or being made at the White House 
um, are not based on the science, but are based on whatever political position um, one may have, and uh, and and uh, that's taking tools away. And farmers, frankly, can't practice no-till or minimum tillage without having access uh, to herbicides. We can't grow crops if we can't protect them from weeds and pests. Um, and so it has a real impact. Well, weeds are going to happen, and it's a matter of whether you're able to use herbicides to control them or whether you're going to have to till. Back in the 70s and 80s, it was tillage, and, and new technologies have allowed that to happen. But as Chris Novak with uh, CropLife America had suggested, they'd really like to see some consistency from Washington, especially as these tools are uh, made available to producers and also the companies that want to invest in them. Absolutely. I mean, if you go to, to go back to tillage, if we can't, if farmers can't protect their crops with herbicides and pesticides that are safe uh, and that are that are, are risk based, that we that our own EPA goes through the scientific evaluations, says that they're safe for the environment, they're safe for people, they're safe for uh, other species out there. Uh, we need to protect those, and we need to utilize those, because if farmers don't have those, they have to go back to tillage. And that there you lose all of your carbon that uh, is uh, stored in the soil. You degrade water quality. You lose your topsoil. Uh, there's just a, really a lot of downsides if farmers don't have access to crop protection products. Steve, let's talk further uh, about issues and the we would say WOTUS, but really that's not an accurate description. The question comes to the matter of what land is going to be covered by a water set, a law that was approved by Congress. And the EPA has been holding hearings, and now we are waiting some new definition for what actually qualifies as a water of the U.S. and how that's going to affect agriculture. How do you feel about the process thus far and what would you expect of the result? Well, our message that we have taken to the EPA and that we've taken to the Hill is that there should be no WOTUS rule before SCOTUS rules, before the Supreme Court of the United States uh, rules on uh, what 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 is actually covered under the waters of the United States. We have a case that's pending before the Supreme Court. A decision is likely to come this fall uh, from the Supreme Court, and I think that's going to fundamentally affect what what EPA considers the the definition of what are wetlands, for instance, under uh, their WOTUS rule that they're working on right now. And so we think it's folly, frankly, for EPA to continue writing the rule or to propose a rule before the Supreme Court rules. And so. Um, our our mantra has been no WOTUS before SCOTUS. So one of the brightest spots that is discussed on the horizon for agriculture is that of next-generation biofuels. And I understand there is the thought of a new paradigm at which we might crush the soybean more for the oil than for the meal. And we are actually absolutely seeing that, Jeff. Uh, you know, you've seen the announcements that have been made by, you know, really all of our um, uh, existing crushing companies, soybean processors, cap- huge capital projects where they're either expanding existing plants 
or building new plants. And we are going to see over the next two to three years about a 25 to 30 percent expansion of our soybean processing capacity here in the United States. And so that does mean, I mean, 25, 30 percent, and that means we're going to be crushing more of our beans uh, here at home, exporting slightly less. Um, it means that we're going to have more oil available to, for both our food as well as our biofuel markets. I mean, if you take 25 to 30 percent expansion of our crush capacity, that's another seven to eight billion pounds of vegetable oil, soybean oil, that's going to be available uh, to meet both food and fuel needs. Um, the question, the challenge that we're also facing, though, uh, and this is this is great news for our livestock producers, but as we crush more here domestically, it means more meal is going to be available uh, on the domestic market because if you crush a soybean, roughly 80% is meal, 20% oil, we're going to have a lot of meal that's going to be, and that's going to be great news for our livestock producers, but we're also going to have to export more, and we have to probably make some changes to our infrastructure to allow us to export more, too. American Farm Bureau Federation this past week used government data, provided some analysis with regard to the rail service of the country that is causing heartburn for a, a number in the industry. Uh, and the rail industry could easily point and suggest that one of their uh, one of their issues that they're dealing with is a labor situation. So with regard to labor, with regard to rail, uh, rail service, and with a harvest that is uh, not so many weeks away, uh, are these issues that you've discussed? They are issues that we've discussed. We had a panel at our board meeting this week uh, just addressing the whole rail situation, and we did have the, both the American Farm Bureau as well as uh, uh, the, the Berlin BNSF Railroad was uh, uh, there on a, on a panel, along with Mike Steenhook of the Soy Transportation Coalition, addressing this whole thing. And certainly we recognize that the labor situation is real and has really affected uh, service to our elevators and feed mills and, and uh, other folks within agriculture. And that's a really of concern and of concern is that we could be nearing a strike next week uh, unless the president steps in and appoints a, 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 a presidential board, emergency board, to try to come to terms and, and resolve some issues between both the, the unions and the Class 1 railroads. It would be absolutely disastrous, Jeff, if we end up with a rail strike because service is already is is already not good, and we have all these supply chain issues and a rail strike on top of that, it, it would be disastrous. If you could have an audience with Secretary Buttigieg, uh, would you talk about truck weights and the transportation system with uh, farmers getting their crops to market and at the same time uh, with the industry uh, moving product? We certainly would because, uh, you know, not only, of course, rail, but we also have the trucks uh, that are so important. Um, and we would like to actually see a, an increase in truck weights uh, with additional axles, uh, you know, to, to allow the movement. We already, we, we know that we have a truck driver shortage that is only going to be getting worse in the next few years. Um, and so increasing truck weights, the truck weight limits 
uh, on federal roads is one way to try to deal with that. And so that's certainly an action that we would urge Secretary Buttigieg to uh, move forward with is to take action to address that. Steve, let's uh, uh, conclude our conversation on the area of trade, which some would like to put at the top of the list. First of all, there are two key positions, one at the Trade Representative's Office and the other at USDA, that yet are unfilled. Uh, and there's not much news coming from the White House with regard to trade deals. No, and and uh, with regard to getting those positions filled, you know, two, we're, we're strongly supportive of Doug McCaleb and his nomination as U.S. Ag Trade Ambassador, and then uh, Alexis Taylor as the Undersecretary for Trade at USDA. Um, and we think that both of those roles are critical. Uh, you know, we're urging uh, both the Senate Ag Committee to move forward with Alexis Taylor and the Senate Finance Committee to move forward to quickly, uh, you know, move forward and, and pass, it, pass Doug McCaleb out of committee so that we can get both both of those votes to the Senate and get them in place because agriculture needs them. Um, but, you know, our key messages to the administration and, frankly, will be to them is that agriculture needs market access. And while some of what's been talked about in the Indo-Pacific economic framework or what's being talked about uh, with Kenya now uh, is not is is good. Talking about addressing regulatory barriers, biotech barriers, uh, other sanitary and phytosanitary barriers. Though that's those certainly exist, but you also have to address tariffs. And we have not seen any willingness whatsoever from the administration to address. Tariffs. We're hoping that they will, uh, because that the, that is such an important part. Other countries are moving forward with trade agreements, um, and we need to too. Otherwise, U.S. agriculture and, and America as a whole is going to lose out. Steve, is, do you ever sit back and just say "Wow" at all of the products that come from the miracle bean? Uh, not just fuel, not just feed, uh, not just product for food but even for asphalt, for motor oil, and now tires? I really do, and it's, it truly is. Uh, it's been called the miracle bean uh, for all the products that can be made from soybeans, and more uses and more, more developments are taking place every day. Um, you know, I feel really fortunate that to work in an industry where we not only have a uh, strong policy from ASA and our state affiliates, but also a strong soybean checkoff uh, at the national and the state level. That's investing in research and development and then promotion of these new uses. And frankly, it wouldn't be possible. Uh, and we wouldn't be able to see the progress and all these new uses that we see today if it weren't for the work of the checkoff, uh, along with our, our uh, making sure that we have the right policy mechanisms in place as well. Well, see, Sinsky, it seems your whole life has been dedicated toward agriculture. You have served your time at the Department of Agriculture and in different stints, and you have served now with the American Soybean Association for for so many years. We thank you for your service to the industry. And, Steve, I thank you for being with us on this edition of Open Mic. Sir, it is Open Mic. You've been here before, and today you know you've got the last word. Well, Jeff, thank you, and I will just want to say um, that, 
American farmers and ranchers, I think, are the most productive in the world. And we just need to make sure that we have the right policies to support them. Um, because I truly believe that we can do our role and can make a big impact on addressing the climate and responding, meeting that need, as well as supplying the feed and fuel that a world needs. Our thanks to Steve Sensky, CEO of the American Soybean Association, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally. 